podcast i'm ryan that's matt uh matt you are the sunshine of my life yeah you only come around when it's time for podcasting that's true i'm your big brother i'm your podcasting big brother (laughs) and uh listeners this week we are doing stevie wonder's uh talking book uh so as always um if you didn't glean that if you just you know if this comes like right in to your um to your 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 itunes or your podcatcher or whatever it is into your waffles um pause this and go and listen to stevie wonder's talking back and then meet us up uh meet back up with us in uh you know 40 minutes or so uh and we'll jump right in so that's Um, you you just you just misspoke slightly in in just the most interesting way i could imagine you misspoke uh talking book and said talking back and i think that that's yeah and i think that your unconscious your unconscious is actually saying something really interesting about talking book in what sense is talking book an instance of of talking back and and yeah. I think we should take up that question, but maybe not first. No, let's let's do it. I mean, because okay, I think cool. that my question was going to be because we've started, you know, in this. Um, there's a few ways in entry points that we've used. I mean, um, if if you've been uh, following along to uh, this uh, this semester, this uh, this season of TFT, we have a few entry points when we uh, approach an album, um, and and one of them uh, that I think is. Uh, could be fruitful here is you know what is a talking book um and and what does it mean for there to be a a talking book um and and what are what what does because i've i've it's it's a hard album to approach i mean this is an album that i didn't know a lot about um when i when we decided to put it on the agenda until Um, until you listen to it though right and realized that there are I mean, there are just un- untold greatest hits on this record, right? Well, like- I mean, there are. I mean, I think that it's. I mean, for me, there are. I mean, maybe maybe your knowledge of Stevie Wonder is deeper. I mean, no, it's not. For me, so so for me, it's more like a a skyscraper in uh, in Nebraska, right? That there is superstition and and um. And I believe. Then, uh, what's that? I believe. No, yeah. So, yeah. So, superstition is on this album, and then, um, and and then, uh, oh yeah. Oh, I believe you're saying. I thought, yeah. So, is I believe a jam? <laughs> I'm not saying that I believe superstition is on this album. You asshole. Superstition is definitely on this album. I believe it's on this album. I really, I really <laughs> thought that's what you were saying. I'm like, I'm like, Matt. Did we prepare for this podcast? <laughs> those are the high points yeah i guess so right and also um, you and, are the sunshine the sunshine of, yeah, of, charted, of, so, of yeah. life um but for me those those two were even my knowledge of of the stevie wonder catalog was so sparing that i really only knew superstition um and it's definitely um and i find even this, you know, and this is part of what I was, I was about to say is part of this run of you know five consecutive albums um, in the in the 1970s that are considered to be Stevie Wonder's classic period. Um, and this one is, I mean, I also don't know what exactly to make of the cover of Talking Book. Yeah, is this guy in his Afghan and his cornrows and his Indian jewelry, Ryan? Is this guy for real? I, I mean, th- like, I really avoided the album, so I didn't. I didn't have to, um, you know, 
confront this. <laughs> yeah, uh, develop, develop a theory of the Afghan. Yeah, exactly. Well, and also of the what appears to be. I mean, on the one hand, it it, it feels like it's evoking. Like I've seen, you know, hills like that. Um, you know, in Kenya, but it also feels like, I mean, to me, a hill somewhere in, you know, the, the greater Los Angeles area. Um, I mean, right. It feels like, or it could be anywhere in the, in the West, but it's, it definitely feels like, I even feel like I see a, a highway or a road in the background. Um, and it's, it's, I I don't know. It's, it, for me is meant to evoke something kind of right. Like, traditional or afrocentric right. um and uh and 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 i think that maybe at least the talking book the the kind of the contradiction there is i mean is for me that that it for me one thing that it evokes is is the idea of oral tradition right yeah written versus oral history right, right. like um, a talking a talking book is like a tribal wise man or a you know a, a sort of tribal storyteller or record keeper or something right um and then i guess conversely i think a talking book can also be could be technology could be a book that you know a a a kind of um you know you know technology assisted reading for the blind um i mean that and there is like there was actually i I think i read like a actually um on the um in the album there was a a message in braille right um i I forget where i said yes uh it's this is in the wikipedia article is that the original pressings of the lp um uh, contain um, braille lettering of Stevie Wonder and the album title along, t- title, along with this message that says, here is my music. It is all I have to tell you how I feel. Know that your love keeps my love strong, Stevie. Um, and so there is, I think, uh, there are elements of, you know, of, of vision and communication, right? And kind of, uh, of sense communication and connection that are that run throughout the album as well um is there is there anything else that's just kind of um there in talking book uh and and why was my miss uh you know my misspeaking of um of talking back also possibly apt well so i want i want i let me put a pin in that because i want want to get back to it but i i feel like i'm in the same position as a like as a a poetry critic now or as like a, a literary theorist as we were in with um with pet sounds right because mm. i feel like you have to develop a theory of each word separately and then decide which two theories right harmonize mm. you know so so if it's a talking book why isn't it a singing album right mm. the, mm-hmm. the um uh john hollander peace be upon him uh said um both in his poetry writing classes and in the the phenomenally strange graduate seminar that I got to take uh, as as a college senior, um, which was English nine ninety and had the title Poetics, <laughs> <laughs> because um, it was and that's that's important. Did because it follow Carol King's writer <laughs> seminar? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was uh, nine ninety is important because um, they had like a like a uh, genre and uh, time period breakdown of like the five through eight hundred uh, series, which was the, the graduate courses. Um, 
And then poetics is just like, th- there's nothing else, right? It could, it could, may as well have been called the universe, right? Right. Um, anyway, uh, one, one thing he, he said, uh, a bunch of times was that if you want to know what something is doing, what a, what a literary effect, what effect a literary effect is having or a literary technique is having, rewrite it. Um, and he, he could do this because he was a poet as well as being a, a, uh, an academic, um, rewrite it without that technique and see how it's different. Right. And so that's a, that's a, a good sort of technique I, I carry with me a lot. Like, um, d- name the album something else and see, you know, what else could this have been named? Um, and what if it had been called singing book? Right. And in what sense is this talking and not singing? And in what sense is it, is it a book, uh, as opposed to, um, a, a bunch of other metaphors that you can have, right? Like album is one that we've talked about a lot, um, from, uh, from poetry, um, poesy, right. Is literally like a, a collection of flowers, you know? Right. And so the idea that each poem is a flower, um, which is an interesting metaphor, right? Because a flower is something that is naturally occurring that you go out and collect, not, not, a, not an artifact, right? Not a made thing. And then you sort of, you put them together. And that also sort of implies that the arrangement, the juxtaposition uh, of these things is, is important as well as, as each one in, in isolation, right? So, so talking, not singing and book, not album, not, uh, collection, not, you know, anthology, not history, not any other thing, uh, any other thing that, that it could be. Um, as far as talking back, I guess, right. Like my limited understanding of Stevie wonder is that he was signed to Motown or to one of the, the ancillary labels. Cause yeah. there, there were like a bunch of Motown labels that were all in essence Motown, but because of payola, it looked good if there were uh, a large number of labels <laughs> paying the DJs. Wait, for they it. were, they were, they were laundering the music, right? <laughs> like, Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I, but- I would love to like write a like wire esque show about like like someone trying to like break like, but it's basically about um, somebody tracking down like some DJ or or somebody trying to like crack the uh, the the Motown payola case, right? And they have this like bit corkboard of every artist and every DJ. You know, ev- all the pieces, ma- all the pieces of music matter. <laughs> Uh, so I, my, my sense is that this is like, um, this is like talking back to Motown, right? Because it's stylistically different than what I, what I think, or at least in places it's, it's stylistically different. It goes off in a lot of interesting directions that diverge a little bit from sticking to the Motown sound 100, 100% of the time, you know? Well, right. And I think even beyond that, I, I think there are a few things that are happening, um, you know, as much as, you know, the, the, you know the, we, there are a few ways to you know, approach this. You know, I, one of the, our approaches as we kind of, especially as we're looking at these historical albums, is to look at context a little bit and kind of dive into leave even a little deeper into context. A few of the things that happened uh, in 1972 um, are, I believe, um, Stevie Wonder turned uh, 20... 21 or 22 i guess he turned 21 in 19 um in 1971 um and 
was, I believe, able to access the trust fund that had been set up with him because he was a a and you know we we alluded to this, but he was like a teenage star. Yeah. Um. You know, he, his recording star um re- recording career with Motown started when he was twelve or thirteen. Um, and had several huge hits. You know, he was already a well seasoned um performer. I mean, this is his talking book is his. 15th album God. um and that's at the age of 22 uh and that's i mean that's remarkable right God. and um and so that what have we done with our lives right i mean not not record anything like <laughs> look we could double that um and, and 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 we will not have a talking book between us um or only i will only have a talking book if it is a book on tape of one of my academic articles right. <laughs> um and uh yeah, so I th- part of what happened at 21 is that he gained access to this um, trust fund, and um, as one of the reviews um, that we read, one, one of the secondary literature, the p- pieces of secondary literature that we read, um, says he invested this in synthesizers, yeah. right? That he got this money and bought synthesizers and keyboards and you know all of the uh you know the the kind of cutting edge recording technology that recording and um kind of musical technology that was um becoming available um and the other thing that happened in this uh period was that his um original contract with um Motown um expired and uh and then he re- renegotiated that and i believe that um talking book and the album uh before it um music of my mind i believe were the two first uh first two albums under this uh contract and so this is a space where he part of what he really negotiated was um substantial artistic freedom um and um you know in the kind of in the scholarship on on stevie wonder and and the critical discourse um music of my mind was the first that was you know conceived as an album um and talking book was the second in that way right so there's a um element of both the you know and especially in terms of the indie matrix the indiness matrix that right. we um uh, talked about last week right this is one that is even though still corporate um Rock it represents a change in um in 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 independence uh, vis-a-vis um you know and also, control like, also a change in the in the dynamic between structure and agency right between the corporation and the uh, and the artists and a different kind of agency for the for the artist Stevie Wonder in this case yeah definitely um and then in doing that I think what's interesting is that part of how he did that is into is in experimenting right in addition to you know writing songs and kind of working at the level of the album um also starting to play with uh, you know a variety of types of particularly keyboard instruments um and and i think that 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 picks up nicely actually with where we ended with Carol King is you know I, I I wanted to talk a little bit about the piano yeah sure um, sure and and part of you know you talked about um, the you know technological and economic imperatives of you know pianos are expensive um, and I think that what's interesting is so if you know the piano one of the reasons that the piano in Carol King is important is in you know the fact that she had access to that and her kind of having been part of the songwriting machinery gave her access to that, you know, what does, you know, how should we think about, 
Um, or what are some of the ways that we can think about the the keyboard in in Stevie Wonder and how it's used and 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 what it does. Um, you know how it how this kind of technology is combining with this agency to produce what it seems to be our talking book. Sure, it would be it would be like it's beyond the scope of our research project to go into um, to go into this stuff. And I have, I mean, I have a a small collection of like vintage uh, analog keyboard instruments, uh, but I own a Fender Rhodes um, that I stole from our college. <laughs> I mean, own I guess is a relative term in that case. It still, it still yeah, has. You a know, de- I own I own a lot of albums <laughs> that I've gotten on the waffles. <laughs> uh, it was actually it was actually given to me um, in exchange in a in a barter for for work I never performed. Um, so in that sense, I stole it. Two wrongs do make a right. (laughs) I, uh, I was supposed to do like some music copying. Um, but I, but I never, I never musical typesetting on the computer and I never actually did that. Uh, and I have from my high school days, which I bought for like 300 bucks that I had saved from my weekly allowance. Um, I bought uh, a a Hammond organ, an uh, Hammond L100, an L100 or an L101. I think they're the same, except for the, like the shape of the legs. Uh, and I have the one with straight legs, um, which is a uh, a Hammond organ that uh, that um, uh, yeah, that was in some Emerson Lake and Palmer music. And there's this uh, picture of Keith Emerson. Uh, playing like playing the L101 organ and like falling over and pulling this like not insubstantial this machine I could not lift by myself down <laughs> on top of him and like laying on his back on the ground with this 400 pound uh, wooden case that houses this organ uh, on top of him and and playing it it is really really rock and roll um, anyway so so. Uh, my point is I, at various points in my life, I got into this, I got into this shit pretty hardcore and right. So there are, there are a bunch of different, um, there are a bunch of different, like, uh, and even this digression is beyond the scope of our research question, but there are a bunch of different types of, um, keyboard instruments, right? Uh, one is an electric piano and a, a Fender Rhodes is a good example of an electric piano where it has an action that is a piano like action and it functions like a piano, like the key operates a sort of mechanical series of levers that swing a hammer that hits an element in the case of a Fender Rhodes, it's a metal tine, uh, that vibrates, right? Um, then there are synthesizers, right? Where right. there are integrated circuits, uh, that make, um, or, or <laughs> circuit boards, right. Uh, that make up, uh, that make a sound that, that synthesize a sound from oscillators and make like sine waves and they, you know, you can patch them together. And very often you see these huge, um, patch bays with, you know, uh, mad scientists like, uh, uh, quarter inch cable coming out of them to affect and alter the sound. And there are, you know, rows upon rows of, of dials and sliders and, and things like this. Um, I mean, a lot of this now is built into integrated circuits and is in, in, um, uh, in, uh, contemporary keyboards that you might buy from, you know, Yamaha or Korg or whatever. Um, 
then, uh, though, uh, actually a lot of those, a lot of the contemporary ones are actually sample players, right? They're not synthesizing sounds. They're actually, they're playing back, uh, recorded sounds in a very sophisticated way, but still it's, it's not actually making the sound. It's, it's playing it back. Um, and then there are, uh, there are other ones, um, that are sort of mechanical, mechanical instruments, uh, and the what, um and uh, would mix, the clavinet fall under yeah, that? Yeah, that was the last one. The the clavinet, which gives the the that opening groove of superstition. It's um uh it's thing. And there there are, I mean, read the read the Wiki, I'll I'll link up the Wikipedia articles for all of these things. Um uh that, you know, that is a that is yet a that is yet a different kind. And on oh on them. Oh, and there's, there's one special case, um, uh, the Tonto synthesizer, right? Which is a, uh, a, a particular synthesizer. And you think of a synthesizer as being a product that is discrete and mass produced, but like the Tonto synthesizer, uh, there's one of them, you know, right, <laughs> there's right. like, uh, uh, there's one, um, Tonto synthesizer. And I'm going to, I'm going to put a, uh, a link to it. And it's, it was sort of this bespoke thing cobbled together out of pieces of other synthesizers, like, um, uh, Moog synthesizers and, uh, you know, other, other things that were sort of patched together. And it was called a, um, uh, a multi-timbral polyphonic synthesizer. Polyphonic meaning you can play more than one note at a time. Multi-timbral mean, meaning that it, uh, makes more than one sound. Um, but the th- the great thing about the Tonto synthesizer, it makes more than one sound at a time. So wow. you play different keys and you're going to get a different sound out of each finger, uh, you know, that's on the, that's on the keyboard, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but like the Tonto synthesizer is, is, um, like there's one of them, you know, and, and so it was this, like, it was this, uh, this thing you had to like go, you had to like get to it and record it. Um, anyway, so, so no, there's no, a I think lot that this of, is fascinating, of, right? Yeah. To, to not go to too, I mean, just to kind of, you know, signal where this kind of the, our synthesizer, you know, rabbit hole links up, um, to even some of our prior discussions. I mean, I think that what's fascinating is, you know, as I think you alluded, like at this point, you know, the, you know, technology on one point has like rendered some of these machines obsolete, right? And you could get like these, you know, you know, MIDI patches or, or, you know, various samples that, you know, replicate, um, these, um, sounds of these various types of either synthesizers, uh, or, you know, electro, electric pianos or, um, uh, or mechanical instruments and various effect pedals. But there's still, um, a tremendous, as even you were kind of saying in your own, you know, mini collection, um, you know, you know, analogous in some ways almost to record collecting. Um, I think a, a, a huge culture around having these, um, you know, actually having the thing. It's not just being able to create the sound um, of of this thing, but, you know, the, the thing itself um, has a certain amount of connoisseurship, and there is this, um, you know, in the creation, especially of um, effects pedals, even today in, you know, contemporary indie music, contemporary noise music, um, a, 
like still a lot of um, artisanal effects pedals, right? Sure. And there are, um, you know, in various places. I mean, I think one of the um, well-known ones that actually links up to some of the um, indie music that we've talked about is a place called Death by Audio um, in. Uh, uh, in in in, uh, in in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, that is a music venue, but also is a you know makes um, artisanal and you know bespoke effects pedals, um, and that and so I think that even though we don't necessarily need these things, you know, there still is, um, you know, these things, you know, were were pieces of technology that were developed or perfected or maybe became. Be- mass produced during the 70s um but you know subsequent you know technological shifts have not totally driven them out and i mean there's times where they've fallen out of favor you know whether that's in the in you know heavily synthesized and sampled 80s or the much more authentic uh grungy um sludgy uh 90s but then you see in kind of as you know in in, you know in the kind of dialectics of of indiness you know this um, it, it being reclaimed uh, as, as as indiness, and I think there's one other kind of effect that I think is mentioned as uh, you know playing a role um, in this um, uh, in in this album or around this time um, that I think is is relevant, uh, which is the uh, which is the talk box, uh-huh. right? Um, which is a uh, effect pedal that. Um, or effects unit that allows um, essentially, and I don't know a lot about how it works, but you essentially can use your mouth uh, as a so a lot of effects pedals um, that uh, are you know you as you as you mentioned you have you know uh, the um, instruments output you know linking into a um, a device that then when it is switched on you know modulates and affects the sound in some way either adding delay or reverb or um, you know changing the, the way form uh, the sound in some way um and that the um the talk box works by allowing the musician to do that with their their mouth and their speech sounds um and so i think that um and you know uh you know insofar as you know uh, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that talking book is named for the talk box, but the, you know, in some ways the way one uses the talk box is, you know, using your mouth to, and using your body to change, to interface with a machine and kind of creating odd, unexpected sounds through that. I think it's a good um, proxy for a lot of what the combined use of um, all of these instruments is doing on this album, right? So if, if, I think that um, this is important to the the kind of talking that is done, right? That um, that uh, and it's not a even a speaking book, right? Um, but it's it's a it's a talking um, uh, uh, book. It, 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 uh, so the talking, I think, does refer to the 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 combined use and synthesis it's to the meta synthesis, right? That, that is, there are synthesizers and Stevie is, is, um, is synthesizing the synthesizers. That's, Um, That's great. He's also synthesizing musical traditions. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unpack that a little bit. Well, he's. I mean, I don't know. It's it's it struck me that there's a lot of, there's a, like a big range of reference. This is not all what I think of, uh, as being, um, you know, R and B or Motown or, or funk though, like superstition gets into funk. 
you know, there are there are a lot of like R and B songs, or even like I guess "Sunshine of My Life" like charted on the Easy Listening chart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but then but then songs like um, "You and I," uh, that ballad could be like I don't know. It was performed with such like drama. You know, mm-hmm. with such a sense of of uh, you know, I don't know, dramatic dramatic flair and dramatic situation that 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 could be like a a musical theater song, like a great American songbook song, especially with the kind of bombastic way that it ends. Yeah. Uh, you can imagine, you know, standing center stage in the spotlight and the the audience and the Broadway house clapping for you. You know what I mean? Like as as you perform, you and I, um, uh, or it being performed in that context, and then like. Uh, Big Brother, I I sort of didn't even know how to to classify. There were bits of it that sounded like, uh, honestly, like the the Laurel Canyon folk music. Mm-hmm. You know the way that the the way that the clap is used on that, it sounds like a, a finger picking guitar kind of thing, right. or a um, like a hammered dulcimer. Or yeah, something. yeah, 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 for sure. And I was thinking like this could be a. Well, no, just that sound, it it changes a little bit with the, the harmonic and stuff, but like just that, um, that opening, uh, figure could be like a Simon and Garfunkel song or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that what's interesting, another way that synthesis is happening, um, on this, uh, on, on the album is also, um, rhythmically right so that um in and big brother is is an instance of this um as is you are the sunshine um of my of my life where there is it's not exactly and i've I've been you know maybe you thought about this a little bit as well um i was trying to figure out what's going on rhythmically in these uh songs um where it it doesn't seem to be shifts in in meter uh or in time signature but there are um changes and overlays in the mode of subdivision in in many of these songs where you have primarily 16th note um uh, subdivision and syncopation and then um a introduction or um a a um a break that is in 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 a a triplet right yeah, that's great um, yeah, yeah and that's what and- and that creates the effect of a shifting time. Like in effect, the time signature is shifting. Sure. But you, if you keep, and I kind of, I've did this several times of winding it back and kind of, you know, tapping my foot, and you don't lose the four. No. Right. Um, but the, the four becomes subdivided uh, into triplets, um, into kind of either like it's almost swung right so you have a combination of um you know rhythms that are are feel swung and kind of echo the jazz tradition that are layered on top of um pretty dense polyrhythms that um kind of link to you know other elements of the kind of you know african american and afro caribbean um uh, uh musical tradition yeah. um and and those combining um Actually, ultimately, just, you know, again, um, shifting time signatures is the province of a lot of, you know, art rock and noise rock. Uh, uh, And and, and I think that having those shifts, um, you know, creates 
Well, uh, I, I think is another important point of synthesis that's happening um, on this uh, on this album, um, and I think that especially the fact that one um, you know one of them happens right at the top of "You Are the Sunshine of My Life," right? So it's so interesting. This was yeah, on in that the- in that figure in that opening like exactly uh, Fender Road, that like electronic piano figure, and it's also it's highlighted because it's a there's like a dissonant harmony right that's happening at the same time well, as right. it's. It's the most dis- it's the most difficult easy listening song I've ever heard. <laughs> um, is that it's not you know I, I so I was I listened to I put um, when we were deciding which Stevie Wonder um, album to, to listen to I put uh, all of the the five um, kind of classic albums um, in a Spotify playlist and so I first. Um, uh, listened to um, music of my mind and it's a it's a great record and I was enjoying it and then I knew instantly that um, a new record was on because just the way that and so I was listening to it on my headphones and there's interesting things happening with stereo uh, as well. Oh, cool. uh, in- What's that? Oh, cool. I was listening to it out loud on a speaker, oh, so yeah. I, them, I probably give, missed it. Give a shot on your headphones, and you feel like it's like coming, it's enveloping you, and it's oh, kind awesome. of like, you know, the, the, you feel like, you actually feel the unevenness of the syn- syncopation, and then the um, and then the, that kind of change in, in meter, and it again is in another one of these, you know, great statements of, 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 artistic ambition right these sonic signals um like the chord uh, the open chord at the beginning of hard day's night uh or the uh, beginning of wouldn't it be nice on pet sounds this is another one of those right and that this is a um a a statement and in some ways that part of the you know and again we've still been actually kind of answering this initial question of what is a talking book part of the bookishness comes from you know, that it would be so that, you know, albums to this point, Stevie Wonder, again, he had no shortage of albums, but those albums were these collections of singles. Um, and that, you know, in some ways, one way to think of why using the word, why he's using the word book is, well, a need to distinguish what this is from what came before. And, you know, you know, and now this kind of album has actually come to the, you know, and, you know, the, you know, predecessors in the kind of tradition of album oriented, um, music and popular music uh things like some of the work of the beatles and uh pet sounds you know have now redefined what an album is but at that time album just meant um and you know we've uh, traced some of the origins of the word meant more just a collection of songs and so this um kind of part of what you see in in the kind of synthesis of the the meta synthesis you know states that this you know book you know, the, this is a book in that it is a whole that is more than the sum of its parts. Um, and I think that that's part of where you, you have that. And so it's, and, and I think it's really interesting because this is this, you know, and, and it is a move, it, you know, if it is a move in the direction of independence, the independence quadrant, it's definitely also a move in the art music direction of our quadrant sure. of, our, of our grid as well um and yet also um scored you know three grammys um 
and some, you know, uh, and, you know, You Are the Sunshine, you know, peaked at number one on that easy listening list. Um, and so this was a move towards a reignited form of, of mass popularity and kind of crossover appeal of uh, touring with the Rolling Stones um, and kind of crossing, you know, breaking out um, in, in a lot of ways. And so it's like this interesting, again, like a forceful injection of you know, of, of indie into pop and then pop back into the indie where, you know, it's kind of shaping. I mean, it seems to be like a part of an important set of moments of redefining what is popular and what popular music, music that is liked widely can be. And, you know, again, um, you know, it seems like, oh, well, there's a lot of really slow songs here. There's a lot of ballads. There's a lot of these things that could be classified as easy listening. And yet, when and, and it was possibly part of the reason where you know when I had when I was younger and had worse taste uh, would never listen to Stevie Wonder. Uh-huh. But you listen to this now, and it is experimental and weird and yeah. jarring in different ways, and as kind of thrilling and uh, boundary pushing as any experimental noise collective. Yeah, right? this, um, this record. I mean, for me, this record bats like eight hundred. Or something. There's like, there's maybe one track, and I can't even think about, I can't even identify it now. But as I was listening to it, there was one track where I was not like, wow, this is, this is pretty amazing. Um, like, it's just hit after hit after hit. Like, in the mm-hmm. side, I, um, I read the Wikipedia article so that I could see the track listing with the sides and sort of understand mm-hmm. like side one and side two as separate kind of movements and you know and what they uh what they were doing and like on the b-side of this record like it's it's not like b-side material it's still like it's winners like it starts with superstition and ends with i believe yeah um this is a huge uh you know i don't know it's a huge um uh, it's a huge thing. I think one of the meta subjects, just to, to I, and I hate to go into, we were going into the music and I hate to take a direction out of it, but I, I think we, I have to. Um, one of the meta subjects of this current season of TFT uh, is the relationship between these sort of factories of music that we've become sort of fascinated with. I think our reaction to, to Brill Building Pop was similar, like, God, I really would love to get into it. Like, I would love to be able to talk about it on the show, but it's, it's everywhere and nowhere. It's mm-hmm. hard to, it's hard to get a handle on. Um, the, uh, Max Martin is another example of this, I think. And I think Motown is another example of this where there are, there are these factories, right? There are these sort of nexus points that coalesce around a particular sound or around a particular a set of economic and technological organizations having to do with with producing music for for a mass audience and there there i think the knee jerk i think when i was younger and had worse taste right um title uh we could um vilify them like pretty thoroughly you know, oh, that shitty Brill Building music, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, young and full of piss and vinegar. But now it's sort of, it's important that these things be there. And also that real artists like Stevie Wonder, like, get chewed up by them a little bit so that 
Because without that, there is none of this, this sort of dialectic of defining yourself against that, right? There is no, there's nothing to make a statement against. If you think of these, like, these opening sonorities or these opening kind of sonic events on a lot of these records that we've been made, uh, that we've been listening to as being declarations of independence, you have to have mm. something to declare your independence from. And I think that that, that is, um, that is something that sets like Carol King, maybe, or Stevie Wonder, or the Beach Boys, or the Beatles, um, sets them apart from someone like, just to pull an example out, out of a hat, MIA on Matangi, because MIA's that like, that sort of Orientalist glissando, right, is, um, it's, it's, it's a straw man, right? What she's yeah. setting herself against. Well, and like, exactly. I mean, I think there's actually something really profound here is that there's a number of artists. What the ascendancy of indie as a genre allows artists to do is to um, purport to be independent while actually not being independent. Right. Right. That, that, um, and, and so that they, they believe that they are, that, that if they are adequately credentialed, then they don't need to declare independence because they have been declared to be so um and yet that in fact uh that you know much of what is you know purports to be independent is is in fact just as dependent um you know just as kind of um um you know uh, uh of mass produced and kind of designed and marketed um as uh as as things that uh, are are drawn arbitrarily into a a box of of pop right so i think that understanding i mean i think that's one of the things that's really you know this kind of it is really interesting of, you know, we, we tried in our mission in some ways uh, in going backwards through time, kind of starting with um, Baby One More Time was to do pop. And yet what we've ended up, what, where we've landed and where, the, where we have been, um, where we, what we've almost been doing is really just hopping from rupture to rupture. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, that, 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 and that, that, it's, it's a particular genius of pop music is that it can sort of subsume these ruptures. You know, that it can, it can sort of, I, I mean, Ouroboros is not a bad metaphor for it. You know, right. you know what I mean? Like it really can sort of consume itself. I'm sorry. I stomped on you. Where were you headed? No, no, no. That, I think that that's exactly what I was, um, was going to say as well, that it, it really, it, it is everywhere. Like you said, this idea of being everywhere and nowhere is, is very, um, is, is, is very helpful. And it's, it, it just causes us to give pause. Like, I mean, it is, you have to be dependent for your independence to mean something right. That, and, and so that, um, you know, we, I guess what I was going to say is that, you know, really in going in, in leaping from rupture to rupture of these, um, you know, points where a pop act is declaring independence in some way is ultimately giving this DNA of the the points at which um, you know indie is is being injected into pop, and then you have the you know the pop virus reemerges stronger, right? And then and then there are other you know little shoots off of it, uh, and it just keeps. It's not only just like an Ouroboros, but it's many, it's many, like there's a big Ouroboros, and then there's little like Ourobori, like shooting off and then circling back, right? So that you basically have this 
like chain linked fence, uh, 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 this Ouroboros chain linked fence that, that again that that is not starting and ending anywhere, um, and just is going around and around and um, in 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 all dimensions, right? Yeah. And so I think that the and so the idea that there is some field of indiness that is outside of that is is at best a farce and at worst is very harmful right that and and uh and that i think that there is um if there is a kind of you know post uh post hipsterism or post post hipsterism you know I, I, what's more normcore than 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 chilling out to some stevie wonder let, let me ask you that oh man i'm gonna go get my fleece pullover <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and my, yeah, my I think Reebok that, um, high tops with the Velcro straps on the on the top, you know. Yeah. No, I mean the things that you think are rebellious are not, and the things that you think are are lame are cool. Um, and, yes, this is, and, and and I think that again, um, when I was younger and had much worse taste, you know, I assumed that you know the the classic Stevie Wonder albums with their you know with their earth tones, um, and especially like Music of My Mind has a slightly different color scheme, but like everything from Talking Book through um, Songs in the Key of Life has this. You you know, colors of, of these reds and browns and tans. Huh. Um, it, it is it is like what the seventies uh, looks like, um, and you know, uh, and, and yet you know, it, it's and it's a kind of a thing where you know, this was the music that when we were born and we were kids was like a decade past, right? It was stuff that our parents had been listening to. They weren't li- maybe listening to as much, but was around and was kind of um, ambient. And then by the time we were you know, maybe teenagers and our parents were in their, let's say, you know, forties or fifties was adult contemporary. Sure. Um, and so that we never had this, we weren't there. Um, and it, 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 there wasn't a point, um, which we were like in the right relationship with it. But now being in our thirties, there's a certain amount of freedom to go to, um, to Carol King and the Laurel Canyon singer songwriters, or to go to, um, you know, this kind of funk and funk soul, um, funk rock mu- uh, mo- movement that is kind of feeding into easy listening or, uh, 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 adult contemporary and finding the kind of difficultiness in the, um, in, 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 in the easiness, right? Um, and I think that, I mean, it just makes the, um, the difficultness. And I mean, it makes the album, I, again, when I first, I had a, because I was listening to the album in the string of all of the Stevie Wonder uh, uh, records from the era, I had a bit of trouble approaching it at first and I got bogged down in some of the slower songs. But then when I started listening to it, um, I, I pulled By it itself. Out. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happened. The same thing happened to me where wh- wh- I went through without a lot of attention. It was like, okay, I'll, I'll pull something out to say in our episode. But uh, but then I listened to it again very closely, like doing nothing else and really paying attention to it. And I was like, what? 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 Yeah. Every yeah. every five seconds. And no, it was, no, exactly. You know, and and I think that even though there are some songs that are there, I would agree that the overall like song for song batting average is about what you say. Every song has at least one moment where there's yeah. an interesting turn sure. right where there's something where where it changes where there's a disruption to um the, the pattern that's established and so even songs that are a little um you know uh, a little slower a little more straightforward are not um and i think that i mean part of what make 
one of my hooks for the album were, were the last two was looking for another pure uh, love uh-huh. and i believe because both of them have these choruses um that that repeat longer than you feel they should right um uh, than than they would in a standard kind of verse chorus verse uh format yeah. um and it creates a, a kind of uh, there's a there's mantras and there's there's sure. um in 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 the way in the the rhythmic figures and harmonic figures these kind of circular um patterns that 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 kind of continue and so um yeah and, and, and that's that's that, the thing i think that's important right this is a, an album without a lot of evocations of of god or you know divinity explicitly but there is a kind of there is a kind of divinity evoked in yeah in the kind of meditative or as you say mm-hmm. kind of mantra like uh quality mm-hmm. of these and also like the idea of a pure a pure love you know it like uh, well pure from what right like untainted by uh, untainted by what there is a sense of kind of set apartness or of sort of specialness that is normally sort of defined divine specialness right like right. in a lot of religious discourse the pure love is divine love you know and human love is sort of an and uh, an echo of that and this this to me sort of connects with the the like the slightly sort of shaman like quality of the high romantic idea of the artist that we've talked a little bit about here uh, as belonging to um the the largely white rock and roll of this period uh what, we, what classic rock i guess uh is what we've come to call it um and also the sense of a of a uh, of a talking book you know um a talking book as being like an, a, a shaman, you know, or, uh, uh, oh, I, I don't know. There are probably, there are probably words in different languages for, for it, but like, um, uh, a kind of living, uh, you know, a sort of living Bible in the form of a person who sort of gives you spiritual wisdom oh, right. um, in the form well, of stories the, or something. Right. Or a prophet even. Right? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think that's really it's interesting. I mean, I think that another than run almost like working backwards through the uh, album um, that you also then like so if if there is this kind of circularity in kind of relationships and kind of this you know shot meditation on relationship in the last two songs, I think there's a really interesting the run of the the first half of the second side from superstition through um, blame it on the sun. Um, also really does meditate on these themes about kind of agency and and fatalism and control right um like kind of uh, or agency and structure and um you know whether that's um you know in superstition um the figures you know really being about um you know blaming things that you don't understand right uh-huh. and that 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 you know when things happen um you know it's because of um of of things outside of your control and outside of even logic um and you know they and and he, he says when you believe in things that you don't understand then you suffer superstition ain't the way yeah um and that's echoed again actually in um in in uh blame it on the sun right of uh of when this relationship is ending um is he'll blame it on the sun because it didn't shine or the wind in the trees or time but then he says but my heart blames it on me right um, and There's, that's yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. That's, I was just going to say that that I feel like reminds me a little bit of the kind of um, some of the interesting kind of psychological maneuvering that we discussed in "That's Not Me." Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. There's, but there is a sense. There's a sense here where it's even one level. 
it's one level more abstract than that because it's like it's examining the psychological maneuvering and saying, but wait, no, you know, I actually have access to, to a more authoritative truth. And I realize that it's all my fault, right? Like this is going, I I mean, I don't know, like, is this like another thing that was happening, um, for Stevie wonder here is that his 18 month marriage, uh, to a woman who is a singer, who is a co-writer on, on a couple Mm -hmm. of these tracks, uh, was ending, you know? Yeah. And so, And so, like, I sort of, I, I wonder about that, like, as a formative, I wonder about that as a formative experience, as, you know, uh, as, uh, I mean, your, your uh, parents love each other, so you'll never know pain. But the, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, having, having seen a divorce from the, from the perspective of a kid whose parents are getting divorced, like, it's an awful thing for people to go, uh, for two people to go through, uh, even under the best of circumstances, I think, even in its, you know, in its least disruptive form. And like the idea of like, I'm looking for a pure love, which is actually one of the songs that was co-written by the way, or, um, I believe when I fall in love that it will be, that it will be forever, um, point towards a point towards a kind of permanent or eternal love, which again, kind of connects it to the divine, but it's like, that is like so different from my 18 month marriage, you know, like right. I, when I fall, when I fall in love, really, it will be forever. So that, that itself is kind of an interesting bit of psychological maneuvering, you know, uh, well, especially mar- when marriage. it is, is wrapped up in a, you know, that this is a romantic partnership that is in a relationship that is, um, that is bound up in a creative, um, relationship, yeah, right? And, and, then, and, then, so there are and two in some ways of, that this yeah. kind of dependence and interdependence in a relationship is also kind of, and kind of renegotiating the, you know, the, there's a renegotiation of the creative relationships at the same time as there's a re- renegotiation of, of personal relationships. Yeah. Um, and, and they're kind of, um, um, again, almost, you know, as the, you know, 16th note and triplet, um, you know, rhythmic figures are interwoven. So are these kind of interwoven. And, and it's actually, um, you know, uh, nicely dovetails with an album that we'll be talking about probably a few weeks down the road, which is Fleetwood Mac's uh, "Rumors," which blows this up. You know, uh, you know the the geometry of romantic um, struggle and creative struggle. Yeah. You know, to like you know in, in, uh, infinitely higher levels of complexity because it's not just one dyad, but many dyads resonating with one another. Sure, um, sure, you know, sure, sure. To the extent that you know Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mackin has become like you know shorthand for describing romantic entanglements pulling a you know band or unit apart. Right? Yeah, the um uh that's that's in, that's interesting and like Yoko Ono Oing is another model of that. Right, 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 right. Which right. is which is interesting because there's like this typology of ways that things can uh, things can go things can go wrong. Um, I had a uh, just takes down a rat hole. I had a um, uh, actor I worked with once who was an older fellow who who was a hippie back in the day. I was talking about um, talking about a like a polyamorous farm commune that he <laughs> heard something about, and and uh, the the person talking about why polyamory didn't work if you're trying to run a farm because he said um, the the complexity increases not not geometrically it increases. Uh, 
exponentially with the number of people you add to the polyamorous relationship. And at a certain point, you have a farm to run. So it was better for everyone just to pair off. You could get more farming done uh, <laughs> instead of everybody effing everybody all the time. Um, I, I want to just, before we leave this, I want to, so I want to highlight, just kind of underline this, this dialectic that we're talking about here, because it seems like there's a very kind of hard-nosed realism uh, in my heart blames it on me or, you know, don't be superstitious. But there also is a kind of idealism in, uh, in, in the claim that like marriage, if you aren't now, you never were, you know, right. <laughs> uh, that in, in like when I fall in love, it will be forever. So th- this wasn't forever. So it, it, it must be not be loved to put some words into Mr. Wonder's mouth. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that you see that kind of, and, and just to kind of finish ringing the changes on that side, that Big Brother has that well and kind of takes the, takes, has that as well and takes the kind of internal or kind of, you know, domestic reflections on this kind of, you know, space between kind of realism and, and hope or idealism and puts that into the political realm. And I think a lot of the other albums in, um, in, in Stevie Wonder's classic period do this much more explicitly and, um, you know, focus many, much more on social, um, social and political issues. But, you know, you have this kind of, you know, it's actually a really nice picture of, you know, you know, big brother ruling over the ghetto of a state that is both strong and coercive and kills like leaders, but then still also marginalizes, right? And, and doesn't govern, you know, the ghetto. Um, and, and so you have this like really interesting, um, picture of kind of urban, um, uh, you know, uh, urban, urban life, but, you know, he sort of says, I live in the ghetto, but someday I will move on my feet to the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's these interesting, you know, senses of, you know, of, of how to read these as kind of agency versus destiny, right? That, you know, is this, I'm going to move to the other side because of, you know, this is the march of time, uh, or because I'm going to get out. I'm going to just lean into the synthesizer. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and rock it out of here. Um, any other, any other parting notes? Uh, I mean, we, we've, we've dwelled, uh, pretty hard on, um, on side two, um, of, of the record. Um, but, uh, is there anything else on, uh, on side one that kind of, um, you know, that overlaps with this or, or, uh, or, or adds, uh, new dimensions to our, to our talking book? I think, well, yeah, I mean, uh, a couple things. I, God, we could go on for big, on Big Brother Forever. It's right up our, it's right up our alley. I mean, I wanna, we, one thing we haven't, one thing we haven't talked about inside one is actually probably the place to do this with, um, uh, with you and I. And also, you are the sunshine of my life. Uh, is is to talk about the singing a little bit, right? Like sure. because like the Grammy that you are the sunshine of my life won was best vocal performance, like hmm. a pop pop R and B vocal. I forget what the name of the Grammy was, uh, but it had to do with singing, right? And like it is something. It's it's not you know uh, he he's not. Stevie, though, he's producing and writing and performing like all the instruments, uh, except for the thing where Jeff Beck plays guitar, which is pretty amazing. Um, but uh, he's um, he's also singing. He's the 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 vocal performer. And there's like there's such like energy and dynamism, mm-hmm. you know, in in his singing. And I think it's like 
it's the part of the arsenal that we're that we are not not neglecting, but that that uh, we could spend a little we could spend a little more time on. You know, well, I think you're you're the sunshine of my life is an interesting place um, to actually is an interesting um, piece of leverage over that because that song is really you know. So we talked a little bit about the you know, the opening of the song and the opening of the um, album. But then what immediately follows that is really interesting as well, because the first four lines of the song are not sung by Stevie Wonder, right? The first two lines are sung by, um, by Jim Gilstrap, um, who I believe is like a kind of a, um, more of a session singer um, and like a kind of a pop singer. um, And, then the the female lines are sung by Lonnie Groves, who I think also is a kind of backup um, singer who's kind of in these in these studios. And then um, and then uh, then Stevie comes in um, after them. And it's I mean, so I guess I have a, you know what what does this accomplish? What does having these guest singers for the the first two lines of the song, or the really the first four lines of the song, do? Um, and what what? kind of is what was being accomplished it's very unusual they don't they don't return it's like stevie's song for the rest of it so and and also right and and then without answering your question let me throw more wood on the fire um there are a couple there are a couple sections where the relationship and i think it's maybe your baby um where stevie sings back and forth with the backup singers right almost as though they're a chorus a greek chorus uh arguing with him or elaborating on what he has to say or providing a counterpoint or right or something like that so that there is this there there are these kind of like dyadic elements um injected into the into the production of these songs um i would say that like having two other singers on sunshine of my life uh kind of keep Stevie's hands clean. Does hmm. that make sense? Uh, like he's not, you know, it's not like he's singing with, it's not like he's singing with the woman, you know? And it's, it's a sort of, he's at a remove from the actual kind of actors. <laughs> so it's kind of an, uh, again, going back to our, um, you know, wire metaphor, there's an emotional shell company basically. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's laundering, he's laundering his emotions <laughs> through Jim Gilstrap. <laughs> Um, and that the, you know, so that, 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 that can be the sort of the idea of coupleness or the sort of all the implications of that can be projected onto two proxies, right. Rather than, rather than really contemplating, um, really contemplating, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder's complicity, right. In, in, uh, whatever romantic entanglements you might associate with him around this this period well, I in think his that divorce, he did have a romantic entanglement yeah. with Lonnie Groves, with the um, with the singer who the female singer who sings the second set of two yeah, lines, and uh, like it, it broke up his marriage at the time, right. right? Right. But I think that, and I think that, I mean, in terms of setting up the bookness of the talking book, I think what's interesting is that you have like. It's really interesting, right? So you have this dialogue uh, or a conversation between the male and female voice, and then and then when Stevie Wonder um, enters, he's almost the voice of a narrator um, of this yeah, kind yeah. of omniscient voice. Um, and the and and again, it you know that you know Jim goes. They're both Jim Gilstrap and Lonnie Groves are great singers. They sing those lines well. But then the way that. Um, the the kind of rhythmic. I mean, I don't even know how to talk about singing. 
Um, but that the way that, um, you know, when Stevie's voice comes in, it's unmistakable. And it's just like, like, cause it's weird. Like, uh, I would first read this. I'm like, well, this is, you know, not what I thought Stevie Wonder sounded like. And then I'm like, no, this is Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Um, and, and again, it's, it's so that you have, you know, just as much as there is, um, this, um, you know, musical statement of purpose, you know, the, his initial vocal line and then, then the way that he sings throughout it. And, and that line, I'm just looking up the lyrics, um, that line, uh, that he sings first is, I feel like this is the beginning. Right. <laughs> Which is right. like, well, I've been listening to this song for 45 seconds already. You're telling me that wasn't the beginning? No, no, no. It's, it's, it, the song begins when Stevie says it begins. All right. and, yes, and, yes and, sir, Mr. Wonder, sir. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, just to kind of, I mean, you see that. Um, yeah, no, and we've talked about this um you know, and a few different times is that the music, you know, that the album itself and the song itself has instructions in how to listen to it are sure. embedded in it. Yeah. Right. That, you know, I feel like this is the beginning. Like, um, and like, okay, good. Um, thank you. And, and that this kind of, you know, tutelage or, or, you know, instructional role, uh, uh, tied to the singing, to the performance, um, is also actually in around the same time. Um, and this was mentioned in the Wikipedia article, but I, I, I traced this down um, on YouTube uh, that Stevie Wonder appeared on um, Sesame Street uh, around that time. And he and his band do um, uh, Superstition. And then he has a bit with Grover where he's teaching Grover, um, you know, long and short and, uh, and loud and soft, um, you know, and, and, and basically teaching Grover about binaries. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Grover asks, you know, can you sing long? And he, he does it. Uh, and it's a very funny, uh, uh, bit, but this kind of, you know, teaching you, um, you know, instructing, he, he's teaching Grover how to sing. Um, and it, on the one hand, it's a silly bit that's kind of a classic um, Sesame Street bit that kind of teaches you opposites by demonstrating them. But, like, at, at a certain point, the singing loud and soft and, and short and long, you actually see the constituent elements of, of the Stevie Wonder uh, arsenal, of the t- talking book arsenal there. And, and you know, they're, they're simple elements, but they're but there's so many of them that are they're put together and processed in so many ways is that what creates this very rich, um, very rich whole. Um, and almost, yeah. almost like a, a tapestry. I was going to say that. You know, <laughs> in, a, in a way, all records are tapestries. Well, yeah, that's not wrong. Um, and so, guys, uh, I, I think we have to call it here. Um, but, you know, in the way that, um, you know, I when I... Uh, when I, I believe that when uh, when I podcast, uh, <laughs> it will it, not last for it will last for about sixty minutes, sixty five. Yeah, but it will feel like it's forever. Yeah. Uh, but only in, in that in that good way, not in that bad way. And and uh, it, it can only be so if you're chiming in. So uh, hit us up at Twitter with your quick thoughts. Uh, hit us up on the show notes at Overthinking It. Um, uh, if if you have uh, some longer form uh, comments, um, and uh, until next week, it, uh, it it has been and will continue to be very real. Mm.